Hey honeys, this is your host Marissa. Welcome to the Honey Health and Wellness Podcast. Get ready to unlock your full potential as I dive into all things health, wellness, spirituality, and self-development. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I've got Alice Bleethman on the other side of me today. I'm super excited to get into it. I have really um, been waiting to get into all the questions that I've um, asked her to come prepared for. So Alice is an online dietitian with a focus on helping women transform their relationship with food um, and with themselves, which is amazing. And you also host your own podcast, which is called The Best Bits. And you're the author of two eBooks as well. So welcome to the potty. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. I, um, yeah, I love talking <laughs> as you can probably imagine. So yeah, I love just sharing things and hopefully yeah, giving some people some insight into diet and maybe even debunking some things that people have heard before. Yeah, I would love to do that. I feel like firstly, your Instagram page is super informative. Um, really, really interactive. I've learned so much from your Instagram page, which is amazing. But, um, I think you cover a lot of topics where I think, um, you would think it's common knowledge but apparently it's not you know and I'm learning things as well that you would think like some topics that we're going to touch on today like you know navigating the supermarket like how to create a well-balanced meal like these all sound like pretty self-explanatory topics but when you get into it all um, I think there's quite a bit of detail that goes into it and it's definitely worth um, having an in-detail discussion about it so yeah um, I guess maybe we can start with a bit of a meaty question. Maybe we'll start with the gut and brain connection just to get yes. people people's heads spinning a little bit. Um, I'm fascinated with the, the gut-brain connection um, and I have a lot of questions about how the gut, um, you know, intertwines with our hormones and how it's all interrelated. So hit me. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. How long have you got? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> complex. Like, I guess basically yeah. um, – the gut-brain connection is essentially this idea that the gut and the brain are always talking and it's got a bi-directional relationship. So the gut talks to the brain, the brain talks to the gut. And mm -hmm. when we were literally in our mother's womb, we kind of were um, in a way um, – connected or so the gut and the brain were sort of one sort of entity and then as we began to grow what happened is the gut went one way and the brain went another way and so it's actually connected by what we call this vagus nerve and that's why the gut and the brain are so strongly um or have such a strong i guess what you call a relationship because <laughs> when we were so small in our mother's womb they were actually one entity so the wow. gut and the brain axis is basically this um what we call it it's a nerve and mm -hmm. it talks to one another and so for example people who might experience um, butterflies before they're doing a big speech are experiencing the the strength of the gut and the brain axis we don't know much about it like if you think yeah. about all the research that's done there's so much more we need to know about it but it is pretty incredible the yeah. connection it has to the connection i guess our gut has to so many conditions so many illnesses is just unfathomable but then mm. also the connection between our gut and our brain and how that interplays with things like irritable bowel syndrome which is a functional gut disorder and all these types of mental illnesses such as anxiety and depression is just beyond this world and it's so exciting but it's just so incredibly complex because 
our gut is is like it's not only our tummy it's our mouth it's our ecosystem within our gut like the gut micro um, microbiome it's yeah. nerve endings it's muscles it's so complex so yeah we could spend the next many many hours talking about it but really briefly it's just the connection between the gut and the brain it's very 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 strong and it can interplay with so many conditions illnesses but it also has a lot of benefits too and you can really support your gut through food and other things that can help support other elements of your diet um, of your health as well yeah amazing I feel like I really got into the gut brain connection situation when I was dealing with my skin issues because every practitioner kept going okay your gut your gut and I'm like no guys like it's my skin like how my skin like something's happening with my skin and I just totally did not yeah uh, I had to really learn that they are uh, interconnected so that's a really brief and amazing um, description of it because like you said we could go on for days about it but um I wanted to ask you in relation to hormones because a lot of acne can be hormone related what what role does the gut play in regulating our hormones and I guess what does role does the gut play in general with I guess skin conditions if we want to nail it down to something specific I mean with skin conditions like in particular so basically the gut is um releases and like there are so many different hormones that are released within the gut. So as an example, things like serotonin, which is a mm-hmm. good hormone that is released in the gut, just to name one. But yeah. when it comes to skin issues, they are hormonally related, or they can be. They could also mm-hmm. be related to dysbiosis within the gut. So basically the microbiomes are not necessarily in balance, quote unquote. So mm-hmm. what happens is sometimes because of illness, sometimes because of Things like um, you go to Bali, you get kind of like barley belly, things yes. like aesthetics, things like our diet can cause dysbiosis of the gut. And that mm-hmm. can have an impact on so many organs and one being skin. So yeah. there are so many connections. The actual direct co- um, connection, we don't really know, but we do mm-hmm. know that one of the best things you can do for your skin is to support your gut. We don't necessarily know particularly how to do that and how it has a t- like direct um, relationship to the skin, but we know that yeah. people who have a good functioning gut and a good microbiome often have really healthy skin. I'll preface though in saying that there are so many other reasons yeah. why we might struggle with skin conditions, such as genetics, such as hormones, which have absolutely nothing to do with the gut, but mm-hmm. can definitely support a gut, which hence, I guess, there supports our hormones. And- yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess maybe having the appropriate, um, you, you know, bacteria, good bacteria, a mix of good and bad bacteria in the gut. And then does that influence the level of if there is inflammation in the gut or are they two separate things? Yes. yes. So if your gut is healthy, if it's supported, if it has good functioning bacteria, you're less likely to struggle with inflammation. If it's mm-hmm. if you're struggling with gut dysbiosis, for example, you're much more likely to struggle with inflammation. Inflammation comes off in so many things such as skin conditions, acne, swelling, you know, um, perioral dermatitis, like so many other mm-hmm. things. So absolutely, it can have an impact for sure. Amazing. I think it's really worth um, anyone who is struggling with skin conditions to go see a dietitian or something like yourself because it is complex and they're also, like you said, of foods that can really help um, that balance as well, which is a whole different thing in and of itself. But yeah, it's such a complex system um, in the gut and with the skin as well. There's so many ways to approach it. That's right. Um, 
I wanted to ask you then, you do have an ebook on navigating the supermarket and how to create a well-balanced meal. And I wanted to ask you a bit about how this kind of came about, why you thought this was an important topic to cover, because it really is. And um, yeah, do you find that you had a lot of clients coming in and you were like, oh, wow, like people aren't really, haven't been taught this, like they don't really know what's going on or, yeah. Yeah. Um, So how it actually came about was when I started my Instagram, I don't know, three years ago or something, I did this, um, and I'm still doing it actually to this day. Every Friday I do what we call like a food review Friday. So I put a little question box in and people would be like, can you review like chocolate milk or can you review this muesli bar or whatever? And I did it all like every Friday and I I still do it and it's it's such a a lot of fun. But I realized, I was like, wow, there are so many questions every single week. Why don't people know this? And I know that comes Mm. from privilege point because I am a dietitian. I kind of know this, but I'm like, this is sort of stuff that you'd think that you'd get taught at school, right? Like you'd think you'd be like, you know, the difference between light milk and regular milk, like that's because there's less fat in light milk. Like, but we didn't, I, I realized that maybe this education kind of stops somewhere. And so what I found, and I questioned my clients a lot of the, about this as well, is like how, like, going to the supermarket is an incredibly overwhelming experience for a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure maybe you can attest to that. Like it is hard to do that. And there are so many products and they're just more and more and more as we continue to get get into, I guess, the new marketing and the different types of products and the different, you know, um, intolerance and everything that come up, but it's not going to get any easier. So the reason why I created this really kind of simple ebook was to show people that like you don't have to overcomplicate it like you can go to the supermarket this is what you can look at this is what you can look for this is the type of products that is you know nutritious or maybe easy and it doesn't have to be this entire event but yeah. um yeah that was like guess the reason why i started it because i i didn't even realize myself which is quite naive like it's actually really overwhelming for a lot of people to go to the supermarket just because we're so ill-educated at school um about yeah what products mean, what certain health claims mean, how to even read a nutrition information panel. So, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's very interesting. The education did stop somewhere. I think in primary school it stopped at the pyramid and then we moved into high school and I just remember my PE teacher talking about the calories in an apple and then you're like, okay, and then you just go on from there. You kind of try to make it up yourself. But I think – you know, to understand how to put together a meal has been one of the things that has helped me so greatly because I would always say before I was educated and before I understood these things, and I'm still learning, I still don't fully, you know, get it sometimes, but um, I would say, oh, I'm just going to eat healthy. And it's like, okay, but what's healthy? Like, what does that mean? It's, are you eating within your calories? Are you eating within your macros? Or like, are you eating to support inflammation? Like, what is healthy? Like, you need to figure out, I guess, what's going on so how do you usually go about you know addressing these issues and yeah. what's your advice on people that are wanting I guess it's still the start of the year people are still trying to get on a bit of a health bandwagon mm-hmm. but you know what's your advice on eating healthy how do we navigate that oh it's such a good question and I think it's incredibly subjective because yeah for someone eating healthy means like getting a vegetable in each day because they don't have the resources to go yeah market every single day or maybe without bush and they don't have fresh produce so Mm. you know and other people may be healthy eating is eating three meals a day maybe it's eating five meals a day depending on their goals right but Mm -hmm. i think if you really kind of want to um 
approach it from a generic standpoint, I would say eating healthy is eating an abundance of plant-based foods. And when I say plant-based, it's not being vegan or vegetarian, but it's eating an abundance of plant-based foods that are supportive of, I guess, getting enough fiber in all your vitamins and your minerals, and then including some meats if you like meats, but making sure they're lean meats. So for example, leaner cuts of steaks such as mm-hmm. rather than like the heavy kind of steaks or yeah. for example choosing extra lean meats rather than I guess the regular mints eating mm-hmm. a abundance of seafood in particular your oily fish because they're really supportive of um, reducing inflammation mainly because of their omega-3 content yeah and also making sure that they're getting calcium in whether that's through dairy products or fortified products mm-hmm. and then as well enjoying food i think that we forget that healthy eating isn't necessarily just what you put in your body but it's how you think about food as well and if you're mm-hmm. you know on this sort of um line of thought that you know it's only what you put in your mouth but you're incredibly stressed every single time you go to the supermarket because you're like oh i need to eat perfectly i need to eat healthy but then you're not enjoying the food because you're constantly stressed about it then i would say that that's actually not healthy eating so it's also how we approach food as well and eating in really supportive environments, making sure that we are ridding of these sort of diet culturally, um, this diet culture rhetoric, if you will, and just, I guess, you know, eating in abundance in terms of plant-based and all that kind of stuff. I mean, health, health as a whole, like it's very, very subjective. Everyone, I believe like, I mean, technically, technically if you want to do definitions, like health is the presence, like, or sort of um uh, sort of uh, what's that word like you um the absence of like ill health absence of illness yes that's right so the absence of ill health right yeah but i uh, i think you can not have an illness and still be unhealthy and for me what i think that healthy eating means is yes it's eating really well and i can talk about what that actually means in a moment but it's also having a really good relationship with food and being able to eat spontaneously, flexible eating, eating socially, and all these types of things that technically have nothing to do with the actual concept of nutritious food. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you sort of have that and, 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 and look at it from another point of view, healthy eating is eating an abundance of nutritious food, but it's also eating in a way that feels good for you mm-hmm. and the foods are available to you at that point in time and eating without sense of guilt or shame or, you know, um, or, or, or sort of anything that's emotionally loaded, I guess you could say. So yeah. for me, I'm going to sort of put it in a generic um kind of definition what healthy eating is Mm -hmm. i would say that for most people it is eating an abundance of different plant-based foods so plant meaning things like vegetables and fruits nuts and seeds and whole grains but it's also meaning eating a good quality or an abundance of good quality lean meats or protein so Mm -hmm. things like your lean cuts of steaks and lamb and pork and chicken but then also things like your fish and proteins, including things like tofu. So it's eating an abundance of those different things and trying to um, limit more so those processed foods. So, mm-hmm. you know, the takeaway foods and things. Limit, not eliminate. It's a really yeah. good keyword 
is if we eliminate things, what happens is we might get sort of, um, we might start increasing our cravings for those things and that can turn into things like emotional eating or binge eating and that's not necessarily supportive of our health at all. So, and I think when it comes to healthy eating, like I mentioned before, in that sort of definition, it's like it's not just about the food, it's how we think about the food as well. So, Yeah. yeah, really complex, it's very subjective, but I would say that the biggest thing, especially when it comes to gut health, is eating an abundance of different types of foods because we know that's much more supportive of our overall health than just sort of siloing yourself into a specific niche amount of foods that yeah. we think unquote, we should eat. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. And I think it is, um, it's such an interesting definition. I think, is that the who definition of health? Like the, yeah. yeah. And it's so... Um, it's so much more than that, right? You don't want to get to illness and then have to kind of work your way backwards. So it's such a, I I wonder if they'll update that anytime soon. It's such a bland definition of what health means, but um, yeah, the way you explained it is really good. And I think it's getting almost increasingly harder with social media and influencers because, you know, if there is becoming this really blurred line between health professionals and then just opinions from influencers and you know health advice from influencers and I think it's great for everyone to be out there sharing their opinion and everyone to be grasping a little bit of inspiration from everybody but I think as consumers and people who are you know trying to do the best for their body we really have to be a little bit more um what is the word discerning with the information that we take in because um it is a very fine line almost on social media so you really want to be um thinking about yourself and thinking about what's going to work for you as opposed to copy and pasting diets because I think that's where a lot of damage can be done if you're just looking at what someone else is doing and then going oh okay that seems to be working for them you look at them on a face value and then you implement that in your life which a little bit of a, a split tangent but I do feel like um that's a common conversation among friends that I'll have you know they'll be like oh I saw so-and-so is like on this diet and so-and-so is on this diet and you know, our bodies are so uh, intricate and there's so much to it. So I think, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm just something that I think is fascinating. It's just a really blurred line. So it's important to take proper advice is my point. That's, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that, yeah. um, you know, it's up to the consumer as well to be um, really aware that mm. what they take necessarily fact but I also think it's off, uh, up to you know the marketing or the media or the influencer or whatever you want to say to just just have a little bit of emotional awareness and have a bit of yeah. awareness as to this actually could impact somebody and you know not that that person's necessarily 100% responsible but mm. it is really important because you know I see a lot of clients who've taken on information they don't even know where from but it's been clearly yeah. sort of pulled in social media and I'm like oh like I wish that person had a little bit more consideration or at least just awareness of how what they say online actually has a huge impact on on people who consume it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important that you're bringing in that emotional aspect of it because so much of these habits and these beliefs that we take on about food, we make them mean something about ourselves. And it's a very in- interesting relationship between food and emotions. And I want to touch on that with you because that's something that you work um, you work with a lot. So what really is the relationship that we have between, you know, emotional eating? How can we recognize emotional eating? How does it come on? Because um, it, it's quite common. I think um, maybe it goes unrecognized in a lot of people, I would say. So 
yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so basically um, I see a lot of clients who struggle with this whole concept of emotional eating and, you know, it's not necessarily an eating disorder. It's not necessarily a disordered eating pattern. In fact, it's kind of normal to an extent everybody emotionally eats if you think about it right like you're at a birthday party there's birthday cake you're happy you emotionally eat you have a birthday cake but also you know you just broken up with your boyfriends and you're really sad and your friend goes come on come over for ice cream awesome that's emotional eating it's not necessarily bad however what i find especially with with clients who come to me is they only their only sense of reprieve or ability to self-soothe is through food. And that's mm-hmm. when it becomes harmful because we know that food, yes, it's delicious. Yes, you know, it helps us feel good, but it's not necessarily re- going to resolve the issue. Yeah. And so what I do with a lot of my clients is we start delving into where these sort of emotions are coming up for them and what sort of patterns are coming up that they turn to food for and what we can do in, um, in I guess, replacement of food in, a, in times when they are emotionally loaded or emotionally heavy or vulnerable. So, yeah, yeah. it is incredibly common, somewhat normal, um, but then also there are a lot of times when we need to work through how we can nourish our emotions outside of food for sure. Yeah, that's a very big, um, it's a big topic and a hard one to touch on, you know, figuring out the emotions that come behind when you're emotionally eating. And do you have particular practices that you tell clients to implement or are there certain things that you um, ask clients to become conscious of that may indicate that, oh, this could be emotional eating, like I don't actually need to nourish my body right now, I've just eaten? (laughs) Lots and lots of different things. So one thing is being able to kind of differentiate between what physical hunger is and emotional hunger is. So mm-hmm. what we do is, okay, physical hunger, it comes on slowly. Emotional hunger, it comes on really, really quickly and there's a bit of an urge. It comes on as a reaction to certain emotions sometimes. Not always are we aware of the emotions. Physical hunger, it can be satiated or kind of fulfilled um, by different types of food. So it could be like a chicken wrap, it could be a roll, it could be sushi, whereas emotional hunger, it can only really be resolved or dissipated through a specific food, such as chocolate or chips. Um, What we do is once we start noticing there are certain emotions that come up and food as a reaction or that person's using food as a reaction, then lots of different strategies such as mindful eating, hungerfulness cue and the hungerfulness table or um, scale that people often use, we can also start acknowledging that the emotion can be helped or soothed through other means, such as calling your friends, going for a walk, having a shower, using things like urge surfing. So acknowledging Ooh. that emotion that's coming up and surfing that urge for a little bit, a couple of minutes, 10 minutes, and then going back to that urge and going, hey, am I okay in having this food or is there something else that I can use in this particular scenario? Yeah. Lots of different things, but it's all about kind of trial and error. And then also knowing that this stuff doesn't just go away. This stuff doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily just get better after a day. It actually takes a lot of practice because we know that with habits, what we do repetitively becomes a bit of a habit. And so when we're breaking habits, what we need to do is we need to continually break down the old habit and build new habits. That takes time because our mm-hmm. human brain loves habits. It loves sticking to what's familiar. And so what we need to do is we need to kind of break that by delving into another sort of behavior and that can take time. 
Yeah, that's very useful um, information. That's really useful. I wanted to kind of on that topic ask you about the concept of labelling foods as good and bad because I think there's been two, I keep referring to social media, but just because I think that's where so many people will get that, like that's where you get your information from, like who's reading the Herald Sun? I don't know, no one our age group, everyone's on social media. And I think there's like this polarity now of people either um you know I've seen a lot of people just going whatever if it fits your macros eat whatever you want and I've seen a lot of people they are uh, either dietitians or personal trainers and I see some of the um the diets that they have come up and I I look at some of the foods and I'm like okay it's like a chocolate bar and I get that it fits your macros but I'm like it just doesn't make sense to me personally but I know a lot of people like to um eat in that way Um, Because they then have this thing of like there is no good or bad food as long as you're in your calories, you can kind of lose weight and thrive to some degree. But I wanted to ask your opinion on it because I'm like, eh, you know, there are foods that are better for you, right? That's right. So, I mean, there's kind of two things going on because there's like when it comes to if it fits your macros, the whole concept and the whole reason why people Mm -hmm. do that is is more from a, a, a physique side of things right like yeah if it fits macros it wouldn't be like people don't do that if they just want to like get healthier internally and to maintain their weights or maintain so true yeah so if it fits your macros it's all about calories and macros and so technically if it fits your macros you're achieving your goal right yeah that makes sense and that works but if you're thinking about it from a holistic point of view it's not necessarily always the case and Mm. I guess to sort of argue my point just then, it's also really important to include foods that aren't as nutritious because reminding ourselves that food isn't always fuel at the end of the day. You can eat food and enjoy food and food that isn't as nutritious or isn't as nourishing and that is okay because at the end of the day, it's for enjoyment and food is for fuel, food is for giving us nutrients, but you Mm. can still food and you can still have food that isn't necessarily going to give us the nutrients that we need or the the calories that we need or the good fats that you need because we know that it doesn't matter in terms of being 100% perfect when it comes to food and at the beginning healthy eating isn't necessarily just what you put in your mouth it's also what we think about foods and if we're always labeling foods as good and bad and you can't have or you can have then naturally we're not going to feel that great when we do deviate from that sort of silo way of thinking, which is going to happen. It's bound to happen. There's bound mm. to be a moment where you want chocolate or you want lollies or you want chips or you want hamburgers because everybody enjoys those foods. Everybody should enjoy those foods and there's nothing wrong with those foods if we do yeah. have them in moderation. Yeah, that's a really good um, way to answer the question. It's amazing how much, how much, emotion surrounds food and the way we eat and you you know the amount of thought that goes into it which kind of leads me to my next question of how we can recognize disordered eating because I think there's a level of like the amount that you think about your food and the amount of time that spends worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat so um you know what are maybe some what are ways to recognize disordered eating um and what are some limiting beliefs surrounding food and how they impact us how those beliefs impact us. Yeah. So I guess like disordered eating 
if you think about the spectrum of kind of normal eating and um, eating disorders, mm. disordered eating sits within that. So <laughs> eating disorders are diagnosed mental illnesses. So you yeah. have to sit yeah, certain criteria and you are, I guess, um, struggling with, um, I guess you say like a, a much more intense version of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Disorders are like you require a lot of medical intervention from it and it can also impact so many other aspects of your well-being, social well-being, financial well-being, physical well-being, emotional well-being, mental well-being, everything. Mm-hmm. Disorders can but usually not to that extent. Yeah. So unfortunately within our society, some things are kind of normalized that are not normal. So for example, fasting is, can be, sorry, an element of disordered eating. Things Mm. like macros can be an element of disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Disordered eating is basically a form of eating where we start to get really rigid or inflexible about the things that we do eat. And we start to associate food with certain things, good, bad, should have, shouldn't have, and we might even feel sense of guilt or shame if we have mm. certain foods. Yeah. Um, I guess when it comes to kind of the limiting beliefs, it's, it's very, very complex. And I would say that most of the time disordered eating behaviours come from um, a desire to control or a desire to change mm-hmm. our physique or um, what we sort of look like. And maybe if we sort of attempted from that angle then it is a limiting belief that we are not good enough and that we need to change ourselves mm-hmm. but we've got to remember as well that unfortunately social media kind of disguises disordered eating as normal eating yeah, yeah. So it can be very very difficult to navigate that if that is the case if we're surrounded by people and things that do actually sort of um put disordered eating as this sort of like desirable thing or this yeah. normal really it, it's actually not yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Social media does have a lot to, I guess, answer mm. for. But, yeah, it is about being discerning with that information. So that's really useful. But which I want to ask you about fasting and I want to ask you about how that relates to our period health. Um, and I also wanted to ask you about exercise. Is there such thing as exercising too much, too much that it will actually impact your cycle? Because I've heard that a lot. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So mm. I'll go into um I'll go into it now actually, this whole concept yes. of um <clears throat> what we call hypothalamic amenorrhea. You may have heard it Ooh. before, but it's a very long word and yeah. it's basically a functional condition where in females or people who get periods, they struggle with no periods or a loss of period plus additional symptoms because of either over-exercising, under-eating, psychosocial stress, or a whole combination of those three. Mm-hmm. So what happens is a certain thing within our brain called the hypothalamus, which helps us release certain hormones that help us release um, eggs or sort of ovulate every single month, kind of yeah. switches off. So our hypothalamus is responsible for a lot of different things. And if we're in a really stressed state, be that psychosocial stress, so, you you know, for example, you've got lots of stressful things going on in your life or mm-hmm. you're under-eating and therefore that's a stressor in your body or you're over-exercising, which is also a stressor in your body, your hypothalamus goes, hey, we're not safe right now. We can't produce an egg. We can't have a baby. I'm going to mm-hmm. switch off. Yeah. And so what happens is females um, or people who have periods actually stop having periods altogether because their body is actually incredibly stressed. Yeah. And that can cause 
so many other issues within, you know, the nervous system, within the menstrual system, within, you know, the, the basically every system within our body to be completely honest. Yeah. And it could be acute sort of um, side effects, but it also can be chronic side effects as well. And it's really, really important that if you have lost your period for a certain number of months and you've gone to the doctor and there's no real cause, it is really important to look at your lifestyle, in particular your food and your exercise, to see if it's actually having an impact on your period health because no doubt it potentially could be. Mm, Interesting. I think the intermittent fasting, like in relation to your period health, is a very interesting one because – I don't I don't think there's like too much education out there about like there's intermittent fasting there's plenty of research been done on it um but it was it's not that known how it affects your hormones and how it can affect like for women in particular how it can affect your menstrual cycle like people I don't think speak too much about the fact that it puts that is putting stress on your body when you're not eating for a certain amount of time right hundred percent. Yeah. And mm. there's two reasons like intermittent fasting. If you're not having breakfast, you may be under consuming food. Um, mm-hmm. And so that can impact on your menstrual cycle because you're literally not getting enough calories in, but yeah. it also can have a huge impact on our nervous system. And when mm. we haven't eaten for an extended period of time, especially with females, what happens is our nervous system is heightened. We get really stressed, increasing cortisol, adrenaline, et cetera, et cetera. And that can have yeah. an impact on uh, cycle as well so there's kind of two double whammies going on um yeah. if, for example a person came to me and they hadn't had their period and they're fasting the first thing i do is go stop fasting let's have breakfast let's continue to eat regularly and we'll see what we can do after that but mm. fasting is worse thing you can do if you're having period issues yeah absolutely i think fasting is an interesting one i guess going back to social media again there is this kind of idea of needing to earn your food that people play into which again is super unhealthy and it's one of those um poor like it's a it's a it's an unfortunate way to think about things when you come to your meal to eat asking yourself whether you deserve it and there is with the fitness industry as well I think people think they can almost out exercise whatever they're eating and it ends up being this like really rickety seesaw like this constant to and fro of can I eat this I'll just eat it and then I'll like over exercise or patterns like that yeah Yeah. very interesting yeah um I want to kind of link back now that we've I've asked you so many questions I feel like it's been like hot fire questions (laughs) and you've just like banged them out like they're so good um I want to just link back to the gut brain connection a little bit more um, just to wrap things up really. And um, is there anything that we miss with the gut brain connection? Is there any um, pieces of information that um, you think are worth sharing about the gut brain connection? Cause I just love learning about it. I think um, I would say like how you can improve your gut health is important yeah. to know. So we didn't really touch on that. Um, but when it comes to our gut health, um, and the gut-brain connection, you think about it like, yes, it's important to nourish your guts to improve mm-hmm. that gut-brain gut connection and to improve your overall health. It's also important to nourish your brain. So yeah. things like excess stress and things do not have a great impact on our gut. So mm-hmm. it is important just to sort of briefly mention that, that if you're not nourishing your brain, you know, your well-being through that way, then naturally your gut's not necessarily going to be as healthy. So mm-hmm. that's just something I'll just quickly add there. Yeah. But when it comes to our healthy gut microbiome, some things that you can do to help nourish that is to, and I know I keep saying this, but to eat an 
abundance of plant-based foods. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason being in particular for that is because the more fiber and the different types of fibers that you have in your diet, the better off your gut microbiome is. So okay. fiber feeds gut bugs. And so if you've got a whole different type of, let's say, fertilizer within your garden, you're much more likely to have an abundance of different plants. And we do know that when you've got an abundance of different microbiome or sort of bacteria in your microbiome, the more likely you're able to fight diseases, reduce inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the best you can do from a gut point of view is to have an abundance of different fibers through plant-based foods, but yeah. then also use those things like processed foods, processed sugars, um, alcohol, and maybe some sort of artificial sugars, not mm-hmm. like I research there is a little bit new, so it's hard to tell, but yeah. those can absolutely help support our gut microbiome, which in turn supports our overall gut health. So with the sugar and with the alcohol and with the processed foods, that's, you know, obviously we know that is bad for our gut. There's plenty of studies to show why sugar is bad for you, but essentially that helps the bad, it feeds the bad bacteria, right? Yes. And I've heard somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, that you can change your gut microbiome within three days. Doesn't mean like you're completely cured within three days, but that um, little environment in your bacteria system can start to change in three days which is interesting because you mentioned about, you know, um, emotional eating, okay, you do it once or twice or for a period of time. But like you were saying, if you continue doing that, yes, A, it becomes a habit, but then your microbiome changes. And I guess that's why, would you say it becomes even harder to become, to start to incorporate healthier foods? Yes. And I think that one of the reasons being is because oftentimes when we consume, especially if we think about emotional eating, like if we're consuming foods that are higher in processed um, sugars and and fats, we're much more likely to crave those things. And that could be from a logical point, but then also from a microbiome point as well. Mm -hmm. And so we are emotionally eating. If we're consuming those foods that are maybe more processed, for example, we're much more likely to crave those things. And then as well, if we're conditioned to think that way, if we maybe, for example, are in a habit of consuming those different types of foods, it absolutely can have an impact on that cycle. So yeah, Yeah. 100%. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And I wanted to ask you, are there any like supplements or foods or Anything that people can get, you know, off the shelf, don't need to be prescribed by a clinician that you think should be mainstays in, you know, a mainstay in someone's diet, something that is just good maintenance, like are there any um, probiotics, prebiotics, stuff like that? Um, I think that like supplements are hard because often yeah. we recommend, like as a dietitian, I recommend supplements if, for example, um, the person's not getting enough fiber mm-hmm. and Fiber supplements can be really useful. So things yeah. like metamucil and psyllium husk. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're, for example, not having much calcium because they're vegan, then yes, adding in calcium. If they're not having much B12 because they're vegan, adding in that. If yeah. they're iron, adding in supplements for that. But if you're, you know, eating abundance of different foods, if you're healthy, if you're nourishing, you know, every element of your life, then you shouldn't actually need supplements. Yeah. Some people do find it beneficial to have probiotics, the types of strains and the benefits of those strains is still very early in terms of research. So, mm. you know, I I don't really know what will work until we try it in yeah. that sense. But as well, if you are eating, you know, 
different types of foods and abundance of probiotics and prebiotics from naturally occurring foods such as you know things like dairy or kefir or kombucha or um sauerkraut or anything like that then you should be getting enough and you shouldn't really need supplements so as a general rule um if you are eating an abundance of different types of foods and you know nourishing and you're not deficient in anything Amazing. Yeah, I guess it is so personalized. Hey, you really like, you can't make a general statement on it. You know, you've got to figure out the crux of it, what's happening for each person's diet. So that's a very good um, way to explain it. Thank you so much. Um, so you have a workshop coming up, don't you, on the 7th of February? I don't know what date is it yes, now. Oh, it's the tomorrow. That's tomorrow. What's your, your workshop is about? Just remind me. I was looking at it briefly Sorry. before. Emotional yes. eating. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all it's a masterclass on emotional eating. It's um what I'm gonna do is it's live tomorrow, so on the seventh, but um yeah. it's all gonna be accessed on my website too. So oh, if good. for example you wanna access it at a later date, then I'll have it on my website. So it's really yeah. exciting. Um and it's something that I'm so passionate about. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to it. Amazing. Well, I don't, I think maybe we'll, this will be um, live in like a week's time. So I'll definitely link everything below for people yeah. to access that. Um, that's amazing that you have that as a free resource on your website. That's so good. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else coming up? You've got eBooks on your website. If people want to um, figure out, you know, navigating the supermarket and things like that. Um, yeah. Anything else that you've got coming up in the works? Um, the podcast. I probably yeah. have more is coming up. Um, awesome. Take- clients in like i've got some spaces in the next few weeks oh, like, oh, like right. yeah, in, what's in february so probably soon after this is released um yeah, yeah and I you're know. all online aren't you you do people yes, just in, like in australia yeah that's yeah. awesome i do so interstate um sorry international as well but awesome. some some countries i can't get insured for so yeah oh yeah there's <laughs> that too okay awesome yeah. that's so good thank you so much for sharing yeah. all of that information and i'll definitely pop everything in the description below where you can find Alice and yeah. Beautiful.